Howdy folks, this is Living with a Genius. I'm your host Omar Crook. On this episode I speak with composer Jeff Beal. You may know him from the House of Cards. Uh, he also composed some music for Blackfish, uh, Pollock, Rome, um, Appaloosa. I mean he's got a tremendous catalog of music. He's now getting into um, concert music as well. Just had a very successful premiere of his piece called The Salvage Men at Disney Hall with um, the Master Chorale. And uh, he's a very uh, sweet man. He's an interesting guy. He's um, a highly accomplished um, musician, jazz trumpetist, uh, and a philanthropist. He and his wife recently gave a huge uh, donation to Eastman School of Music. And uh, he's uh, just a magnanimous, friendly fellow. And I hope that you enjoy the interview. Um, I went over to his house. He records everything in his house. He sets up everything by himself. He does all the mixing and mastering. And uh, it's just fascinating the way he um, does what he does. His workflow is really um, special and unique, I think, in the world of uh, show business music in particular. Anyway, thanks for listening, um, and I hope you find this as interesting as I did. Thanks again. Oh, and uh, give me a shout-out if you guys get a chance. Omar at livingwithagenius.com. I'd love to get your feedback. Uh, I'm getting to the point where I'm taking this a little bit more seriously, and uh, I have some great guests lined up, and uh, I want to be as good at this as I can be, and, you know, I'm still learning how to do it, and I'd sure appreciate any kind of feedback you guys have for me. All right? Thanks again. Yeah, all right, this is pretty good. So, uh, thanks again for having me. My pleasure. It is, it's great to see you. Um, now, we were talking uh, before I turned on the mics about how um, when I got, when I was driving over, that it, it you know, first of all, uh, I've got to set the scene. So, you live at Inagura Hills, which is really a, kind of a trek from L.A. proper. It took me about... You know, almost an hour to get out yeah. there. And it's, it's a nice drive. It's a beautiful yeah. drive. Um, I know that you grew up in the Bay Area. Went to school in New York. At Eastman. Terrific school. Um, and then, from what I understand, you moved back to the Bay Area for a little while. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, then, and then out to California. Yeah. Down from there. Here. Yeah. So, so, so what brought you out to... Uh, did you move directly here to Agura, or how, how did that no, work No, it, it was a circuitous path, you know. Um, Joan and I had this game we used to play early in our marriage to try to figure out, to, to keep a tally of how many apartments we had actually lived in, you yeah. know. And it was like, I think after we got past 10, we just sort of <laughs> became a parlor, parlor joke, you know. Yeah. But, I, you know, I grew up in Northern California in, a, in, a, in the Bay Area, but out in a town called Castro Valley, which was... Very. It looks like this. I mean, it's. I feel like I'm a salmon sort of spawning upstream. Yeah. Living here because it was the rolling hills, the oak trees. They're a little green this time of year, but they're usually the the California brown yeah, that right. we know so well. But it's just you know when you're a composer, you can work at home and and I every you know some people are city people that get their energy from cities. And I'm much yeah. more of a nature guy. I just you know nature feeds me. It's just like I like the rhythm that it puts me in. Sure. Um, so, so yes, we landed here, um, but the, the journey was hysterical. You know, I went to Eastman in Rochester, New York. Yeah. Um, Joan and I got married. I was literally a senior in college when you I guys married. Met at, you guys met at Eastman? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. 
That's we, a, that's a story I want to get back to. So yeah, let's, yeah let's, okay. we lived in Brooklyn for yeah. like two years, then San Francisco for about five. I want to say four or five, and then came down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and uh, and started out in Studio City. That was actually. my question. Yeah, yeah. So you're in, in town. An yeah, yeah. Into, oh, yeah, you, had, you did ask if there was a question at the end Yeah, like, how did you get out here? Because yeah. uh, so many of my friends who are musicians and, you know, yeah. composers, and we have mutual friends, they, they tend to live and work in the city. You know, Hans has this huge compound in yeah. Santa Monica. And, yeah. But that's just not your bag, though. No, it's not. In fact, you know, we, we probably couldn't be more diametrically opposite in terms of our, our approach and our style. I mean, you know... Uh, you know, when you and Eric were over here last last year for a House of Cards session, you yeah. know, Eric's jaw was just kind of dropping at my 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 the my, setup the setup because yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sort of a one man band. I'm just I'm a classic introvert, um, Omar, and I love being alone. So the idea of having a a studio like someone like Hans or, or many other composers do, where there's like people five, milling around, five anywhere. guys milling around yeah. doing this, doing that. I mean, I can I've gotten to point in my age in my career where actually a little bit of help is probably what I'm going. That's probably going to be in the mix somewhere. Yeah. We're talking about doing something upstairs here, a little oh, really? studio B, yeah, just for you know. There's all sorts of areas of orchestration and my concert stuff where I could use maybe an extra pair of hands. Yeah, I was really surprised when we came but, over for the string session that you said you set everything up yourself. Yeah, to do it. yeah. I can't be- I can't believe that. Well, you know, and I. I loved it and I do you know like I I mean for me like so many of these things are part of the process you know um I love doing my love doing my own orchestration mm-hmm. um and I have this workflow in logic that enables me to stay in one program do everything mm-hmm. all the notation all the recording and yes literally I write the music in one room and then I come out into this big room and conduct conduct off a monitor yeah uh, the musicians go home and I go back in the other room where I wrote the music and mix it all together and I never leave that one application and you do all the uh, you do all the sections separately you do the brass section you do the strings you do the percussion yeah usually when I do a bigger score here it's recorded that way house of cards the lot the main live component is usually the strings right right um, and then the, the rest are solos whether it's trumpet obviously I throw up a mic and play it right and things like that all the piano stuff I play playing as I'm writing so right right and you and uh, when we met last we talked about the bass player Yes. Your son, Henry, yeah? Yes, Henry has played electric bass on the show off and on for me for the past four seasons. And he's away, he's studying, obviously studying music as well. Yeah, he's going to University of North Texas studying jazz bass right now. Right, right, right. And and Thank God he's a bass player, by the way, you know. (laughs) He started out playing trumpet, and, you know, which is his, my instrument. Yeah. And, um... I was so thrilled when he when he found the bass and and because you know being a young trumpet player, I always thought the guys who always had a lot of gigs were the bass players. Right. They were not the trumpet players. That's Although right. it's a wonderful instrument, I love being a trumpet player. Yeah, if you can play bass or viola, you're going to be set. Bingo. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you did you um, like push the trumpet on him? How did that go? No. So no. there was no competition. No. No, I think he weird, chose it. You know, not at yeah. all. I uh-huh. think you'd probably you know. I think you know boys go through an evolution and young men go through an evolution in their in their um in their journey and you know by probably he was at the age where I want to be just like dad yeah. as, you know and yeah. and then they go through another cool phase in their in their adolescence where they figure out who they are and part right. of that as adolescence involved two things one that creative journey but also getting braces so <laughs> I never got sure. braces. I have horrible teeth uh-huh. um, and because it's hard to play trumpet with braces. Of course. Henry, you know, was uh, – we get, he, he got braces. And uh, during that time, it was frustrating to play the trumpet. He kept playing. He was actually re- – he's still a really good trumpet player. But, wow. But Joan wanted to keep him doing music. And 
and he had actually been, we had seen him playing, you know, this is the video game game generation, of course, so we had Guitar Hero when he yeah. was, when he was, you know, very, a young, young boy, and we just saw his fingers flying on that thing. So Joan got this idea to get him over to this school in Agoura Hills, I think it was called, yeah, it's called Rock Nation, uh-huh. where they just teach kids rock and roll instruments, and we got him on electric bass and drum kit. He loved both, but, but as soon as that bass was in his hands, that was it. Really? He had found his instrument and you know that's a very personal thing omar i mean that's what i love about it i mean for me i can't imagine the trumpet not being my my main voice you know right. it's always sort of how i felt right um and and when you find out as an instrumentalist side which is much different than a singer because obviously a singer is a the instrument's baked into your to your body yeah you got to wait around a little bit yeah and then there, yeah. there's a process of discovery i'm sure with that with the voice right. yeah physiologically for sure yeah but uh, that that instrument just suits him so well, and and his personality well. It's it was fun. It's fun to see what what his journey has been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I've got a I've got a as you know I have a three year old boy, and I ask a lot of people the same question. When when did you start him on music? Hmm. It's, uh, because I I I feel like the sooner the better. But then he gets frustrated at the piano, and you know we've got a piano in the house, and um, I don't want to push it. But you know I don't know what's the what's the secret. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think every kid's different. Uh-huh. Um, and I think also the type of learner is is an issue. Mm-hmm. With Henry, um, he did not respond as well. Of course, you always, you know, piano is like the gateway sort of instrument. Sure. You know, all, all music making and it's sort of a natural fit for young people. Sure. Instant gratification. You put your fingers down and a sound comes out. Right. Um, which is great and it's visual, which I think is also great for, for the young brain. Mm-hmm. Uh so I can't remember the exact age, but um, in his grade school years, we found this program called Simply Music, which okay. was perfect for him. Here in Agora? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, there's, it's sort of a franchised, it's like Suzuki or one of these sure. teaching methods, sure. and, it's, and it's basically a, a method to learning that's based on both oral and visual learning, mm-hmm. and, and it just... He he responded really well to that. Is it like play based and fun and it, yeah, it's a it's mix of both. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I, I think it's you know it's you're really you're learning how to make music, mm-hmm. but but it's 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 not quite the traditional piano lesson route. It's right. A little more, a little more. Um, it's it's a little more based around um, a, a different type of music making, and you know I think they get you. They get you into understanding how music works as well as learning traditional notation. That's something that I really struggled. The most fundamental part about music was the hardest thing for me. Oh, that's fascinating. It was really because difficult. I think I think part you know that's really interesting because I sort of came at it from a different way, being traditionally trained. Uh huh. And when when did you start studying? Uh, well, really for me, I never had formal piano lessons. Although I was always tinkering at the piano. And you had a piano in the house. There was uh, a piano in the house, which mm-hmm. I think actually, to answer your question in another way about kids, I just think having it around yeah, right. is half the battle. Right. If they're around music, they're hearing music, and they have the opportunity to go play and make a little and something. And it's been normalized for them. Like, it's just part of... That's, that's how it should be. They wake up and there's a piano. There's a piano. So yeah. go, go play something, you know, yeah. make some music. And part of the fun thing about living in this house and having this big room over here where I record is that it's much more natural to have music making happen in the house more than probably any area where, where else we live. And we just had a dinner party a couple weekends ago with a d- really good director friend and some mm-hmm. young composers mm-hmm. that I mentored uh, actually last summer at the Sundance Lab. And just it was sort of baked in that after the dinner party, we all went out into the into there and we all started playing songs and sharing. It was just really fun. And that fun. used to be so common, right? I oh, mean, yeah. I, uh, I've read, yeah. I, and, and it hasn't been in my generation, but no, I, 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 know, I know that in previous generations, for instance, in New York, an apart- if an apartment didn't come with a piano, 
it was it was extraordinary like it wow. was strange like you could rent an That's apartment great. and they'd come with a, with piano. a piano and if it didn't you're just like well yeah. who's gonna rent this pos <laughs> which makes a lot of sense for new york because you know getting pianos i know from firsthand experience my first apartment in brooklyn i had a piano that was basically destroyed a, a banister on the way up the staircase and when we moved out was <laughs> taken out the window you know because i needed a piano that's part, that must be part of it yeah yeah but that's just we're just not a music but culture that way it's anymore. true but you know I, before i forget what you said also about learn the the whole pl- the plato thing and yeah, the concept now, he, of music. yeah okay yeah. so here's an interesting yeah. thing that, yeah. I, that i discovered in reverse about forgetting notation because i have this sort of um I have a very love-hate relationship with the writing down of music now because as technology came out, and also because I'm a jazz player, so mm-hmm. I, always lo- I always love the sound, and I work from, I, wor- I love working by ear and, and trusting that versus like laboriously sort of mapping something does out Does that on have a piece to do with your impro- um, improvisation? I'm sure it does, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm in, you're not constrained by what I have an paper. improvisatory mind. And right. so, so when technology came about and we had the ability to r- literally improvise into the computer, mm-hmm and to really let sound guide the creative process as opposed to sitting in front of a piece of paper. Look at the math, yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved that because to me that's really where music lives. Mm-hmm. That's where it all lives. I mm-hmm. mean, that's how it came out long before it was written down, it lived to sound. So, mm-hmm. so for me, even now, I mean, although a lot of the music that I do has, a, has to eventually be notated, mm-hmm. I always feel like when I'm putting it back down on paper, it's, so, it's like I'm retranslating right. the idea and the feeling. It feels like such an imperfect process right to put it down into notation right right you know and and one of the fun things i learned from working like recording for example mm-hmm. recording musicians are especially the guys i work with here in los angeles are so sophisticated right. and so talented mm-hmm. i actually learned very early on not to give them too much information on the page like they actually did better and i got better first performances and better interpretations often when i didn't tell them how to how to phrase it? How to articulate it? I mean, obviously, basic things like dynamics. And if there's, sure, sure. if there's if there's a phrase that's really has a specific type of slurring, I'll give that to them. But it's really amazing to me to see how little sometimes I can give them, and they it's better. Like they don't have to. Sometimes when you put something down on the page, then then there's a whole discussion. Right. Oh, what kind what of an accent mean? is right. this? And blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden. You know, you're talking about it instead of just doing it. And I, right. that's my thing. Yeah, like a uh, jazz trumpet player that I've always been in the process has always been like that's that's the zone for me. It's well, you know what that does, too, is it creates ensemble. Well, no, that's true because ensembles and musicians, you know, they're like a flock of birds. They have an innate ability to sort of gather and fly all in the same direction mm-hmm. if, they're, if they're professionals. They that's know right. how to do that. That's right. Uh, but it's a nonverbal. A lot of it's nonverbal, and it's just sort of instinctual. Yeah, and, and I bet being in your house really facilitates your attitude and totally. You know, the, I mean, being yeah. relaxed and totally. Yeah, I, 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 I do enjoy that. I mean, you know, I've had some young young composers like, is it, a, is it a problem living so far out of out of the way? And I'm sure there's certain people that you know they drive to Jeff's house for a meeting. Was like, I can't believe I have to drive all the way to Gore Hills. Oh my God, you know. But once I get here, I never, I've never heard anybody really complain about oh, that oh, that's because, beautiful. and I think the same thing from the musicians. I mean, yeah, God bless them. You know, they. They do sort of schlep to to come to come work, but we always have so much fun. Um, I wanted to talk. Uh, I'm kind of a left turn here, but I, I on my way over here, <clears throat> I was listening to Salvage Men, and um, I'm not listening to it, but reminiscing about the performance that you gave at Disney Hall, um, and how impactful it was, and how beautiful the the voice leading was for the singers, um, and I, I prepared a little bit before I came. I 
honestly, and I've said this before in other episodes, I tr- I try not to prepare too much. I, I like that. I think that's a good I strategy. I prefer to to look it's like jazz, baby. Yeah, and I, I don't mind looking like a fool. That's part no. of the point yeah. of this podcast. And yeah. you may have answered. Well, you, I thought question. you were a genius. Isn't that, aren't you the genius? <laughs> no, you're the genius. Oh, oh. I'm living with you for an hour. Okay. Um, and I know that your wife Joan is a soprano. Yes. And you guys met in school, and I'm I guess. I have a, a comment more than a question. I'm surprised that you haven't written more soprano repertoire. I, I thought that maybe you would have done that to kind of favor, uh, get, get in good graces with Joan. I'm surprised that you haven't written that I know of. I may be totally wrong, but I, it doesn't seem like you've written that much vocal music. Um, and after listening to Salvage Men late last year, I think it was November, um, I thought, well, why why aren't there song cycles? Why aren't there? Why isn't there an oratorio? <laughs> why, what's what's happening? Yeah, yeah. There's it's a very small bin right now. Is that something you're interested in pursuing? Yes, totally. Uh-huh. And um, you know, it was it was. I love writing for the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it's funny because I think there's a couple threads that make it feel pretty natural for me one is one is actually the trumpet because i uh the trumpet is a very vocal instrument i think sure. all wind instruments are vocal and and my my trumpet teacher my trumpet professor at east eastman barbara butler was wonderful and we talked a lot about breath and singing and line and mm-hmm. it's really all about all about that mm-hmm. and um i also in my day job write a ton for strings and i i always feel like the string orchestra is really a, a stand-in for 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 a choir. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the, all instruments are really stand-ins for the human voice. But well, the trumpet in particular, where you, yeah. you know your lips really form the vocal folds. Yeah, and exactly, it, they, they vibrate and yes, and the bell air is moving. Exactly, air is moving. The only thing is the valves. That's the only thing that's different. Really, it's really true. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would say the trombone is probably the closest brass instrument to the voice in the way that it produces sound. Yeah, you that's know? interesting. I hadn't mm-hmm. thought of the brass instruments as really being that close. But you're right. Yeah. Exactly. No. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, vocal cords. You, the it's brass a is a resonator, and yeah. the lips are the vocal folds. And there you go. You blow air, and you make sound. Yeah. That's it. But I think, you know, what part of, part of the thing, joy of writing that piece and why I'm going to do more is that um, I love the voice, and I have not written as much for the voice, and I want to write m- much more for the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also love text, and I love story. Mm-hmm. And, and The Salvage Man really came out of a sort of 15-year... Quasi drought in my concert output. I just was so busy writing scores, raising a son, mm-hmm. dealing with my health. You know, I have mm-hmm. MS. Right. Uh, you right. know, so that's that was a new information nine years ago. So mm-hmm. that you know takes sucks a little bit out of every day. Mm-hmm. But I had this nagging thing about two years ago. Um, when I, and Joan's been nagging me for years to write. You gotta write <laughs> concert music. You gotta write for the master crowd. I said I know, and I, and I just kind of looked at her. and Said you know what? I gotta do this. It's like gotta gotta act you know yeah and and but but i and i knew i wanted to write for the for the master corral i knew i wanted to write for voices what was the relationship with, with did you ever i relationship didn't have one grant or no how? i um i, I met see. him through joan but it was funny um grant's wife Alyssa, came over we did this crazy promo for house of cards i think it was season two i did an arrangement of a sting song mm-hmm. um uh, i can't remember the name of it off the, off the off the top of my head of course but um and we had a choir on it, and Alyssa came to the house, and through that, I think Joan and I had already, I'd already mentioned this to Joan, and Alyssa said, oh, Grant's a huge fan of House of Cards. I thought, okay, great, there's my intro yeah, to right, Grant, that's right? Yeah, it's yeah. my intro to a lot of people. Um, yeah. I just got an email, I just sent a copy of the soundtrack to Leonard Slatkin, who Holy we're talking shit. about doing something in a couple years. And, oh, you, oh, you're gonna make, are you going and, to make a symphony or something? Uh, yeah, well, hopefully, I think he's, um, 
uh, he had contacted me about a year ago about a program he's going to do in Detroit that's going to feature concert music by people who also write for the screen. So uh-huh. it might be a new work or something. But you know, I was with people like that that you respect so much and who are so wonderful and such obviously great collaborators. Sure, you want to sort of just. Go for it. Yeah, go for it. And also, yeah. it's like, you know, I haven't, I haven't written him in quite a long time. Yeah. And, and let me send him this, you know. And, you know, so he just wrote right back. And it was, it was I've been so lucky in pursuing concert music that, that to have a visibility now as a film composer, especially with, with a show like that, yeah. that, that a lot of people know. So that was pretty much my intro to Grant. And, and he took it on faith, really. I sent him a bunch of music, mm-hmm. concert music. Um, and but but what I was getting to about this idea of the voice is not only the voice, it's also text. And I realized this past, you know, 25 years or so writing film scores, mm-hmm. I it's all been about storytelling. Yeah. And it's what I love about music. I love me. I love being a composer when I'm telling some sort of a story. Even yeah. if I write a concert piece that has no text, there's always a story it's in it for me. Programmatic just, in some way. Yeah. yeah. That's just where my that's just where my musical brain lives. So this, so for me, I felt like because I had not really engaged it that that regularly over the past really fifteen years, mm-hmm. um, you know, just a little thing here and there. I felt like if I have a text and a story, then I can then I have a way in to figure out what I'm what I'm going to do. Where did the text uh, uh, Where did the text from Salvage Men come from? A couple that, places. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the first first movement is uh, a, a, an excerpt from Oscar Wilde's uh, De Profundis, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful letter he wrote from prison. And then the other four movements are poems by this amazing Northern California poet, Kay Ryan. Did you commission those? those no, those were existing those were works existing. from a collection. I, I was looking for text to pair with, with the wild. I kind of knew what the piece was going to be about. It was going to be sort of about catharsis. And mm-hmm. and um, and uh, a, another writer friend of mine, Mark Salzman, mentioned Kay's, Kay's work to mm-hmm. me. And I started reading her poetry. And I was like, oh, she's like, this is spot on. She's mm-hmm. perfect. I don't know, very spare language, kind of a little bit of sense of humor you know just yeah yeah so i i i get the sense too that i know i know some other um film composers as well and i've worked with a number of them and um one in particular i i just premiered a, a piece of his uh over the last summer in south america and um and i i kind of get the feeling that you're similar in that you seem to be really fulfilled with the work that you do in film and television and that it's I know some people also that are kind of frustrated that they, you know, they study to be classical musicians yeah. and they're stuck doing this other thing. Yeah. And they really want to do this instead. Yeah. Um, I don't get that sense from you. I get the sense that since I've known you, which which hasn't been that long, it's six months or so, but you seem really content with the work that you produce and are excited about new opportunities, not as a reaction to some disappointment and other yeah well, i mean first of all i mean you've had terrific success in what you do and that that helps um but is that does that seem to ring true to you i think you're right no i think i think you know um i i have not i've never you know the, the whole idea of the big the big budget big feature film world the big brass ring that's mm-hmm. never sort of been the the the, the goalpost for me mm-hmm. the goalpost for me has always been i want to work on cool stuff right and tell really cool stories it's not like you have a tome of symphonies that you want to get to and you're just frustrated that you've yeah, haven't made it there. I mean, maybe, yeah, but maybe that's what's coming next. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I do feel an urge to write concert music. So, um, but 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 what I've loved about working in film and what I still love working about film is it's so collaborative and and when it's like playing in a great band. It's funny because you, know? you mentioned that you love being alone, 
Yeah. But collaboration I know. Isn't is that your strange? Thing. Well, this yeah, is yeah. this is this is classic introvert. Classic introvert. It doesn't mean introverts are not antisocial. Uh-huh. They just prefer small groups. Well, my, you know, I, I have the best job in show business, Omar. I mean, have you ever been on a movie set? Yeah, sure. But it's it's like organized chaos and it's the most boring place in the world and and i can't imagine i can't imagine before it gets to me all the heavy lifting that goes to make a show yeah but by the time it comes to me it's literally me sitting in a room with with a with a film right with a few actors right or in the sense of the collaboration it's me and a few people in a room yeah you know it never gets probably much more beyond five or six despite the fact that it's a tremendously artistic like for exactly instance, pollock was just a masterpiece and so you get to sit in the room yeah after this whole well, thing's been ha- done exactly yeah you know ed harris you know he's built up studio and studied painting for you know four it's, years it's and blah 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 yeah. so you know i i really feel like a film composer we, you know we just have such an amazing job i mean because so much work gets done before it even gets to us yeah yeah and so in the, in, a, in a way there's a downside to that, which which I'm seeing in the concert work, where I'm having to originate the work, mm-hmm. and I and it's much more heavy lifting. But I actually, but the heavy lifting is actually kind of fun too, because it's conceptual. The heavy lifting is conceptual. That's you have right. to decide what is the structure I'm going to create. Well, there's what more is the making world? involved. Exactly, there is a lot more making. What's the yeah. world I'm going to build? Right. How am I going to build the world? I mean, right. I'm just. What does it mean? Why am I doing this? No, yeah. I'm just I'm just starting this this new commission for the Brooklyn Youth Chorus, where we're adapting a book about um, Eleanor Roosevelt and Polly Murray, and it's huh. an amazing. I mean, this could be like an opera someday. I mean, we mm-hmm. don't, who knows where this is going to go, but we're starting small. But already, you know, I'm just looking at the world of this story and it's just like an amazing jigsaw puzzle that yeah. I have to sort of figure out what, what are the right pieces to pull and out. And you have to decide the story that you're telling and why yes. you're telling it. Which, but that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's, fa- that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so I, again, I want to go back to, tell me. I, you know, I, I mention these things and then we get off on a tangent and we talk about these other interesting things, but then I, this this kind of thing sticks in my craw. And it's a story that I haven't heard you tell as far as I know. I, I don't know it. What? How did you meet Joan? Tell me the story about that. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was living in San Francisco as a high school senior getting ready to go to Eastman School of Music. Yeah. I had been accepted. Yeah. And I was thrilled because that was my first choice of school. They had everything I wanted. They had a great classical program, a composition department. Uh, a jazz program and even they taught film scoring there so it was like it yeah. checked off all the boxes really ahead of its time so before I went to uh, Rochester for my first year I get this letter comes in the mail and totally unannounced and it's from this gal named Joan and mm-hmm. she describes how she has been assigned to me as a big sister on the orientation committee uh-huh and I don't know if they still do this, but it's a very sweet sort of, you know, like a nice one-on-one gesture. one-on-one thing? One-on-one wow. thing. They, they have an orientation. Because Eastman's a small school, small student body, probably the incoming class is, I don't know, maybe 100, 150, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. So they write letters to the class. And there's actually, you go out for a week of orientation before classes start. Mm-hmm. And so there's a committee of upperclassmen who sort of, their job is to welcome the new people. Mm-hmm. So she wrote me this wonderful letter. And part of the things you have to know about Joan <clears throat> is that she's a wonderful writer. And a good writer, you can really meet through their writing. Yeah, yeah. And and this, I just read this letter, and I was kind of already smitten by this person. <laughs> I mean, uh, she was, she she's Joan, although being a fabulous, fantastic soprano. Um, her father was a trumpet player, and just like our son Henry, growing up, that was the instrument she played. So she grew up as a trumpet player. Oh, wow. At okay. the end of this letter, Omar was 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 the the money line. She said. So I hear you're a trumpet player. Are you a fan of Maurice or Miles? <laughs> and I would say at the end of that <laughs> sentence, 
my life partner decision was sealed. I mean, I didn't know that at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but really got the wheels turning. There was no girl I had met in my 18 years of growing up who knew who those two people were, Marie Corps, Marie Sandre right. and Miles Davis. This gal did, and that was like, you know, the the, the heavens opened up. I guess <laughs> the geek, the trumpet player geek heavens opened up. So I went to Eastman, met Joan. We sort of pound. We sort of. So wait, wait, friends. wait. So, so you. I oh, I, I, there's more. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote her back. Okay. Wrote her back. I wrote her back. She has. We has these letters somewhere. I can't remember what I said. Do other you flirt, than you flirt with her a little bit. I, I'm not a flirty guy. I'm 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 not a recreational flirter or dater. Yeah. You know. And but I did say at the end. I wrote her a nice letter back, and I said at the end. She says she remembers this. I don't remember writing. I said lots of love, Jeff. There you go. That's kind of flirty. That's it's a kind little of, flirty. It's a little huggy, right? Well, it's, yeah, it's forward. It's a little, little, little <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a flirt there. So maybe I was. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I thought, who knows? I uh-huh. haven't seen her picture. Maybe she's cute. <laughs> uh, but um, so, you went, so you saw her the first time. Tell me about that. Yeah. And, and so you, you know, get it, to school. Uh, we met, and, and I'll tell you, the, 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 second, the second sort of aha moment was during the orientation committee, they put on this fun little musicale yeah. on stage. And then she, I saw her sing on stage as Princess Leah in some funny they just were doing some silly star wars ripoff or something yeah. she sang on stage on a white dress in eastman theater yeah and that voice i heard that voice and i was like that was sort of part two of falling in love with yeah Joan. i mean when you when you were on your way physically to the school did you have some feeling like oh, i really want to meet this girl like you know it wasn't like that no. i mean i i and and, w- and i think we even met socially and it was like hey yeah nice to meet you oh, okay but you know uh it was sort of evolved over a few months. Up. You didn't build it up into something. No, no, it was certainly no. It was there was no expectation of anything, anything roman- even romantic about it. It was just like, hey, I've, I know somebody that 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 knows who these Trump. Uh, if I, I, it was more like, wow, Eastman's would be a place crawling yeah. with people like this. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was more like oh. just the excitement about the whole world I yeah. was going into. Yeah. And uh, but but over the course of a few months, we started to spend time together. She heard me play at a jazz club. I think that's when she kind of fell in love with me she heard me improvising on the trumpet uh-huh and and you guys started dating that year that year the I first went, year there i went home for th- for thanksgiving break with joan and and three years later as a college senior i was married oh my god yeah that's incredible <laughs> so you guys have really been on this tremendous journey together the whole time yeah i mean it's that's, you're so lucky it's a gift i'm telling you i mean i i I, I don't envy my, my single friends or our you know I'm more sort of of course old enough to see people go through a, a marriage that doesn't work out right. I don't I don't envy any of that I feel so incredibly lucky right. to have a real partner a real soulmate <clears throat> it hasn't been a picnic it's never a picnic you know mm-hmm. you go through so many changes over the thirty plus years we've been together sure sure but the thing we share is this wonderful connection that was before any of the the adult stuff you know mm-hmm. that can sometimes. You know, it, it there's an innocence I think to youth, which is wonderful. Right. There, you're not encumbered by all the cares of the world and material stuff and right. career stuff, all that angst. I mean, meeting somebody in school is really kind of a special place to meet That's somebody. That's right. That's right. How do you navigate um, friendships nowadays? I mean, it's got to be hard. With um, you know, our mutual friend Eric has the same has the same problem. I, I think that's one element of our very strong and close friendship is that we knew each other yes. way back when. Yes. And, you know, I don't really want anything from him and vice versa. And yeah. so we just have this friendship that yeah. is independent of the Eric Whitaker machine. Yeah. How do, do you, you seem to navigate that well. I mean, when we met, um, I, I feel like you're just a cool guy and you like to have fun and uh, do do you ever run into things where you're like oh man 
this is tough or this guy's calling me for something or you know I, I socially I'm probably pretty naive about that well that's good which is probably a good way to be because yeah. I like to believe that people are just say what they mean I do too the, exactly. the hard thing that I I that that still is hard for me because I I have a real problem saying no or not not um indulging you know requests and i i there's a certain point in your life and career and visibility where you just get more more requests for your time and energy and and mm -hmm. can i take you out to lunch can i take you to coffee i mean they're just they're overwhelming mm -hmm. and um you know uh it, it <laughs> we were just watching curb your enthusiasm like for the gazillionth time yeah, the other yeah, night and yeah. there's a great episode where where Larry's mother dies when he's away, <laughs> <laughs> shooting a uh, shooting a, a scene for Martin Scorsese, and they don't tell him because, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? You know, yeah. so he gets home all mad, of course, because they haven't he missed the funeral because sure. they're Jewish, and it happens like the day after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but there's there's this light bulb moment when he he's he gets, needs to get out of some dinner party that they want to ask him to, and that Cheryl she says, "Well, you call him, I don't tell." And so Cheryl gets on the phone, and she goes, "Oh, his mom just died," and Larry's eyes light up, right? <laughs> So for me, you know, this is this is sort of gallows humor, but but you know, when I was diagnosed with MS nine years ago, yeah, um, you know, it became very apparent that you know uh, I have like a seventy percent full gas tank every day. That's what I get. You know, pe normal people have a hundred. You know, so whatever a 50, normal fifty-two-year-old man has, I have a percentage of that in energy and time. So it gave I you know it gives me an excuse to need to use sure. the, to to use the curb your enthusiasm. Yeah, now that your son's I in said, college, you don't have that anymore. I mean, at least I've got a yeah. three year old where I can say and we can't come because he's throwing. Yeah, it. yeah. So 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 <laughs> part of the social boundaries things I think we all struggle with as people and as professionals um, is to sort of how to say no you know, delicately. So I will use that occasionally if I need to. But you know what's interesting, Omar? I don't think it's as much as what it means to other people because I don't use it that often. I don't yeah. say it that often because I feel like that's making it more about me and not fair. I mean, listen, everybody's got something, right? Right, right. But what I think it has done is it's giving me, I'm able to forgive myself more about not being able to say yes to everything. That's right. And that's been, that's been that's huge. That's a real gift. That is a gift, and it's something I'm still working on. Yeah. But you know, like, and, and it's funny because I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of close friends. But you know, even though Eric and I sort of knew we did know each other sort of before because we knew him and Hilla here before when he was just sort of starting out and sure. doing his first little workshop. Right. And, right. And though we have a friendship now, I have to say this little circle of with Eric and you is actually I'm so I'm actually sort of most excited about some of these friendships because I feel like our worlds are. F are safely enough apart and not doing exactly the same thing mm -hmm. that we can have this connection that isn't that isn't sort of aspirational yeah, or trying to get related, something yeah, yeah which yeah, is yeah. always that's always sort it's of like drag. messy yeah drag yeah, yeah i agree you know it's funny too because i actually we all of us composers we are sort of like all lone wolves mm -hmm. the funny thing is i i and i don't feel like this is in all the composer communities i think in general my perception of sort of the classical composer community has always been like, maybe that's a little more of a snarky world or a little more... You mean in that it's highfalutin or you yeah, mean it's more backstabbing? Yeah, backstabbing, or, backstabbing or, uh -huh. or just more competitive in uh -huh. some way. I mean, like as a friend, uh, this guy from Eastman said, you know, he goes, well, the reason the politics are so bad in academia is because the stakes are so low, you know, <laughs> you know, or something. I miss, I'm, I just mangled the quote, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like in film, I think I, I, what I was getting to was... I. I I, I have a lot of good friendships with a lot of other fellow composers because yeah. I, I don't think any of us really feel like we're competition for each other. And even if you, you know, uh, even if, well, I, we I almost know. have a common, common, I don't want to say enemy, but a common 
you know, sort of antagonist, which is our client, which right. we're always trying to please and not get fired by and, right. and help and talk right. to. And it's a struggle to, often to get to the finish line. And so we kind of had that shared experience of our work, which is right. something we love, but also a shared sort of struggle that we all can have empathy for each other for and support each other as right. friends. Right. Well, I have, uh, I've got a peculiar sense of what uh, competition is uh, hmm. generally in my oh, life. Give me your, give I, me your... well, I've always honored my competitors because it's yeah. the competition that drives you to yes. be the best that you are. And you can celebrate each other for, oh, for that. I love and this. I, and I, I don't understand this. the people yeah. who have the mentality that y your success equals my failure. Yes. And that, that is the antithesis to me of what competition is. Um, and it's um, that's another that's another thing that I try and sift out that you know you you always run into toxic people and people who judge themselves yes. based on your failure or yep. your success. And this is part of the danger of the age of social media when everybody knows what everybody else is doing. I mean, I kind of glad that I grew up at least a few decades blissfully unaware of how much else was going on. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason I didn't move to L.A. till I was 30, Omar, mm -hmm. is I've always felt really passionate. Part of the reason I like living out at Gore Hills a little further away from the center uh -huh. is, you know, my, you know, like, you know, you know, like Wayne Gretzky says, always skate where the puck is, is and not mm -hmm. where uh, skate where the puck is going, not where it is. Right. And I feel like my puck sometimes is a light, slightly different than the, 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 the place a lot of other people are skating to. And for me, you know, my puck's a little, you know, is, is my, everybody has their own puck, right, yeah. to use that metaphor. Yeah. But, but for me, you know, worrying about what somebody else is doing often is not only, uh, you know, sort of, uh, n you know, nonproductive and sort of bad juju. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't get you anywhere because it, it, it gets you chasing somebody else's career, somebody else's solution when you really... The really work you, what you the real work you need to do is find find out what your 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 voice How is. Do you, that was my next question. I you know I listened to a lot of your music in preparation for this. The difference between Blackfish, the difference between Appaloosa, the difference. I mean, they're all disparate stylistically. Um, I don't really know what my question is. I mean, how, how I do you, you develop a, your voice? I, I, I just want to ask you, when you figure out what it is that, that I do, <laughs> please let me know, because I don't have a freaking clue. I'm telling you right now. And your choral music, that, that, that yeah. piece didn't relate to anything that no. you've done. Does it sound like, did that sound like me, though? Yes, it did, but I don't know why. Yeah. I think, well, okay, here's the deal. I, th I think I know the answer to your question. I was sort of sort of half, half, half playing with you yeah. here. But because um, I was just curious what I, I think there is a probably a way where you can actually deconstruct that question all the way down into like Shankarian, Shankarian analysis exactly. and musical theory. Yeah. And you can actually have a very rational answer. But I think the, the, the more irrational answer is probably truer in which I think the, the thing of finding your voice and, and part of what I love about doing film mm -hmm. is that film music does not work unless it comes from some place of truth because uh -huh. it has to it has to emote. It has to tell a story. And, 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 and we all know a bad film score when we hear it. it we notice it, and, and another thing happens. We feel manipulated by it, and that's the worst thing you ever want to happen, have happen from your music That's right. in a film. You yeah. want people to be moved. Yeah. Um, so how do you hit that target? Well, the way you hit that target, hopefully, the only way you can even hope of hitting that target is to have it come from you. Have it, you know, this, is, this is my process, everybody has it. But I'm very much sort of the method acting mm -hmm. process composer. Mm -hmm. So for me to, to, for me to tell the story honestly, I have to feel it. Do you watch a movie over and over and Absolutely. over before you I have to become it? that character. I mean, when I was doing Ugly Betty, I was a young you know, Spanish girl in uh -huh. a poncho. I mean, you have to actually literally tr sort of s 
it's really about empathy and 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 understanding. Part of and part of what I'm about film and what you sort of pointed to in the in the variety in the work, which is what I love about it because mm -hmm. I'm a bit ADD creatively. Mm -hmm. And you know my that's the thing when you say you only have a part a part tank in, in the morning, I can't imagine you with 100. <laughs> percent oh, God, Christ. that's a scary thought. I know. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's crazy. Um, you know, I'll tell you, that's something we should talk about. I want to talk about it because I want to talk about efficiency, and that's also why I've designed my workflow this way because I become an absolute obsessive person with not wasting time. And, 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 and we're, I've learned incredibly a lot. MS has really taught me not just how to work hard but how to work smart. Right. 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 Um, and not waste time. And, and I, the only thing that really sort of pushes my buttons and I still struggle with is when I feel like people are just wasting my time and asking me to do something over and over again that doesn't, sure. you know, that's a tough one for me. Sure. Because I was like, well, here it is, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Trust, trust the moment. And that's what I also work with my musicians that way. It's like if it's right, if they play great the first time, great, let's move on. Yeah. I want your energy for the next one. Yeah. This is sort of a general human rule, I think. But to go back to this point of the honesty and the voice and the... Um, uh, where does it come from? What makes it sound like you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a pr there, that's a discovery. I mean, I think that the, the, it's like the acorn and the oak. I think that seed is in you probably from the moment you're born in some strange way. It's, mm -hmm. in, it's encoded in your DNA. Uh, music, we, we know that music has huge ramifications in terms of DNA. Mm -hmm. We also know that the brain, a young brain, we were talking about your young kids, mm -hmm. as the young brain develops, it's immersed in, in making all these millions of the connections. connections. Yeah, so yeah, whatever yeah. I was immersed in as a young boy, the songs that were being sung at the family piano and at the church, the hymns that were being sung and the jazz clubs I went to, all that sort of informs you. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of fascinating when you just think about how original and different everybody's musical brain is, mm -hmm. Omar. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's as different as we all are as human beings. Right. Because it's a product of all of that DNA and all that environmental encoding that happens over someone's lifetime. So right. in a way... It's impossible. How could you not be you? I mean, how could you possibly? I mean, it's almost impossible. It's it's actually, I think, at the end of the day, harder to fake it than it is to be honest in a uh, way uh -huh. for a composer. I mean, I think it's. I'm much more productive and creative when I'm actually in the zone, being honest. Yeah. It's harder when somebody asks me to be somebody that I'm not. I mean, I, do you ever come up with writer's block and you just sit there? I and do. Just like, what the fuck am I gonna do? I only when I feel like people don't want what I think I can do in uh -huh. the way that I can do it, and they want it the way somebody else does it. So it's That's, a hiring mistake at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, it is. It is casting. It yeah. is casting, yeah. you know? So, so um, you know, uh, and, and I, I enjoy the challenge up to a point. Part of what I love about doing film is being able to try on different clothes musically, and that's fine. I'm yeah, fine with that. Yeah, and it shows. It shows in your work, for sure. You know, I, yeah. I love that. I mean, I'm eclectic. I think we're living, I mean, I just love the sort of, the sort of multilingual musical world that we live in, now, right. that we all live in. And, you know, think about audiences. Gosh, they're so sophisticated. Yeah. Because we are just, you know... Inundated. We're inundated. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of musical vocabulary that is just floating around the universe is mm -hmm. just mind-boggling. And that the, the technology really facilitates... Yes. Uh, the creation of art from people who may not have had that opportunity otherwise. Yes. Without that training and lifelong Absolutely. learning of did you how see, to did play you see, something. Did you see uh, Straight Outta Compton by any chance? I have, no, I haven't seen I it. I love that movie yeah. because, you know, it gave me, you know, I was always sort of a little disparaging, well, oh, hip-hop, yeah, not, it's not real music, and I still, yes. I still sometimes struggle with that. But me this, too, me and too. And that movie really helped me, Omar, understand where that music came from creatively. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Uh, and and spiritually and emotionally, and that it's more legitimate than you had way more given credit. Way more, uh -huh. way more, and of course it is. You know, because listen, music is 
music is your the, everybody has their song and that's a well i mean in, a, in an academic sense oh in I an mean, academic you, sense you know what i mean I, yeah just, no absolutely yeah. i mean you know listen and i think look it, it's it's either good or bad i mean you can't yeah. say anything about a, a, a style i mean there's some amazing you know hip-hop and rap artists it's funny that you sure. bring it up because i i have an opportunity to interview a, a pretty prominent hip-hop artist and i you know, and the person who wants to set it up for me has approached me a couple times. I think you should do it. And I'm so I, reticent because I, I just listen. I don't have that vernacular. I don't I know. know anything I about know. it. Yeah. Um, I think it would be interesting, but I'm really, I, I'm really nervous about it. I mean, I think Jack, I would be too. I would be terrified too, actually, for the same reason. I mean, look at us. We're a couple of middle-aged yes. white guys, right? <laughs> what do we know? What know. do we know about that culture? Oh, and the the yeah the. Yeah, the temperature in the room is kind of hot for that kind of thing right now. So I don't know if I'd really be offended. I think people it's great. Or, this I, is I what know. we need. No, I think you know, and and going over, you know, going in, you know, I think that's well. Look at this is a conversation that 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 is happening continually in this country about race, right? About about economics, mm-hmm. um, opportunity, opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it sprinkles over into politics. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been writing this. I'm doing this little uh, commission for the um, Here Now Festival in a couple of weeks. So they they invited me to contribute a piece for electronics and trumpet that mm-hmm. I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So I started writing this piece ab- about it ten days ago, and what came out really surprised me. And it's it's very, um, you know, I call I titled it Anxiety Option, and it's all about, uh, you know, like sometimes as artists, like you said, taking the temperature. Sometimes as artists, all we can do is just sort of respond to what's happening in the world. Yeah. And I was sort of, you know, at the end of my workday, occasionally flipping on the news and seeing some absurd political thing from Donald Trump. Or, or, why, why or. Are, that's my question. Why are you voting for Donald Trump? No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, did you, you saw those are the neighbor's signs, not mine, Omar. You know, and, and just, and not just him, but just the level of rhetoric and yeah. the insanity of like, not only him, but what culture produced that, you know? And then also these horrible bombings in Belgium and France right. and these terrorists and that right. evil thing happening over there. Right. And, and, I, and this thing that came out was all about this idea of fear. And the piece is really hopefully a meditation on finding calm in the midst of the storm, which mm-hmm. is what we all do. Mm-hmm. But this I fear, I think what I, what I came to in the piece, what I discovered from writing the piece and what came out of me and what I was feeling, Omar, was that fear is an incredibly powerful emotion more than more than anything? It, I yep. think it's it's yep. you know you got fear on one side and love on the other. And it's so and, base. They're both so base. And they are the primal reptilian responses. And when when you have a society that's that's in the economic malaise that we are now, which is this wealth gap growing wider and wider and wider. And, you and get don't a, forget anti-intellectualism. Anti-intellect has gone yes. rampant. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And and so you've got a lot of fear. You've got a lot of an economic. Uh, resentment and into that into that storm you you get you get these politicians these political extremism on either side that's right and 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 there you go yeah no i i I see i see that very clearly Um, and what do we do as artists you know it's funny you know like we just you know you go sing i I write music i mean it's 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 kind of absurd in a way no well you know i have a i have also very very particular take on that i i had to um i had to figure that out too when i was younger i was a writer and i I still am a writer and then Mm -hmm. i got into music and uh i used to be a painter as well and they all have a very common thread which is uh, i'm i personally am most interested in endeavors that define humans 
and separate them from the beasts of the wild. We are Amen. we are singular. <laughs> yes. We are singular yes. in the known universe yes. to produce work yeah. solely for our own understanding. Yeah. To make sense yes. of what we're doing, yeah. hurling through space. Bingo. Uh, what it means. Yeah. And I think um, I think in other words it's the for me it's the noblest um, profession uh, even if it's not a profession it's just the noblest activity that we can engage in the arts in general yeah and being creative um, it's and so I think that's the end I think that's the answer that terrorists fear the most exactly no it's almost like it's almost like the the on a bigger scale it's like the bully the, the bully the little bully who's just going around hitting everybody yeah because he's afraid yeah, no, it's absolutely true, and and, and I, I do agree. It's funny because I'm I'm going to Philadelphia this weekend to give a TEDx talk. Oh, great! Something I never thought I'd be doing, nice. and I got my my manager found about this opportunity. I thought, well, what the heck? I'm kind of terror. I'm kind of really terrified by it because I like talking, but I'm not used to talking in a very scripted form with a PowerPoint. But it'll be fun. What but are you, what are you going to be talking? Well, about? here's the deal. Um, I'm talking a lot about about narrative and and the stories we tell, mm-hmm. the stories we tell about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And 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 how important um, what you it's just what you just said. It, it's this it's this idea of the fact that as humans, we have this amazing ability to to sort of step back from an abstract situation and conceptualize and conceptualize mm-hmm. it. It's huge mm-hmm. um, without giving you the whole thing, which would take 20 minutes. Uh, well, but but okay. basically, no, it's 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 it, it, what one of the things that fascinates me about uh, this this subject is this whole idea of. Of, of storytelling and the way we use the way we can use fiction one of the way we can use fiction to sort of practice for real life mm-hmm. um, you know uh, we tell st- you know look, look at look at House of Cards is a show about a Machiavellian murderous horrible person I thought it was a documentary yeah well it could be <laughs> right it could, well that's the point <laughs> yeah the point right. is our characters in fiction are often larger than life, like Walter and White in Breaking Bad sure. or Tony Soprano or, you know, and they are often sort of exaggerations maybe of the human condition, but there's a truth in there, which right. we all see. Right. And we all, by, by, by living vicariously through these situations and through these characters, we're able to practice our own skills of, of sort of forming narrative and forming emotional strategies and responses mm-hmm. and scripts in our own mind mm-hmm. that actually can help us when we go out into the world and have to face conflict and struggle. And, and it's, 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 it's fascinating to me how much the human engagement with story can have a, a, a negative or probably, or, 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 or often hopefully a positive effect mm-hmm. in, in, in real world. And, and music is, that, is all about that. It's, it's, a, it's such an amazing process that we do where we we assert this unbelievable irrational act of beauty mm-hmm. and celebrate that that's right for no other reason no other reason just that it's beautiful and it's the same it's analogous to the way i i view my relationships in with people um where i i'm i'm okay but it's the the intervals that are created between my friendships huh. and the relationships i have with my family yeah. That make things meaningful. So in that yeah. way, I see music, again, in this global th- way uh, that is directly related to the way we get along with each other. Huh. Yeah. And uh, I'm just lucky to be in it. No, that's really true. That's beautiful. You know? And uh, I'll tell you, I love what you do. Thank you, man. You're killing it. 
Thank you, sir. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time with me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Omar.